Now, there are tactically some surprises, which I'll get into, uh, but the, the, uh, the, the concept we're talking about here is, you know, what will make silver's price reflect its true global demand? And we're in the middle of it right now. It's happening right now. Well, hello there, my friends. Chris Marcus here with you for Arcadia Economics. Hope your week is off to a good start. And fortunately, it is time for Vince Lancey's Silver Report this week, where he digs into what it takes for silver to actually reflect its true value in this market. Obviously, we hear of the factors of why silver would theoretically rise in price. And today, Vince is going to dig into what it takes to actually get there. So with that said, here is Vince the Professor Lancey. Today, we'd like to talk about the question that's on the screen there. That's a question that I get asked frequently by stackers. That's not the question I get asked by speculators or futures traders, which of which I'm in both camps. Um, the question that futures traders ask is, you know, which way is it going? You know, uh, but stackers and uh, investors or owners or holders, uh, they are more interested in uh, a marketplace that reflects the true supply and demand uh, metrics that underlie uh, the actual commodity itself. So we're going to talk about that today. Before we do that, I want to quickly go through uh, last week's behavior. I'm not putting the screens up today uh, for that, but I'm going to because it wasn't monumental. In the commitment of traders report, the speculative shorts added about a thousand eight hundred ninety contracts, and the speculative longs took off about. 1,200, 1,300 contracts. And that is consistent with the behavior of the market. The futures were a little bit lower on the week on, for the five days uh, discussed. So there's nothing monumental there. Uh, what you want to look for in that is you'd like to see about three or four weeks of that where the shorts get shorter, speculative shorts. The shorts get shorter, the longs get less long, and the market doesn't really drop too much. So we, you know, it was weaker for those five days, but it wasn't, you know, horrendously weaker. Uh, you get that, and then after about a month of that, you'll have a nice uh, little base of rocket fuel to push the market higher if there's another reason. So silver's going up because it's being bought. The shorts will give it a little bit extra momentum. But right now, I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't put too much into it. I will say this though, uh, behaviorally. Gold's getting all the attention, gold's getting all the news right now, and gold had the big performance last week, and silver kind of languished, except for the last two days. Uh, and, and that's not to be, that's not unexpected. Uh, because when you look at how both metals came off the lows coming in out of November, silver led, as it should do. Silver leads uh, when there's flows into the market. Uh, gold is continuing to be bought now while silver is not. And uh, in the past, this always ends badly. Uh, doesn't have to end badly, but it usually ends badly when people run out of money. But I will say this, what's different now is, is rarely do I see gold follow silver as it has and then overtake it. So, uh, on Friday, I said, you know, when before gold went up to 1923, 1925, uh, I, I said on Twitter that at this point, 
because gold had moved a lot and silver had just kind of stuck around 24. At this point, for the next leg higher in gold, silver has to break away from 24. And a couple hours later, we got lucky. You know, gold broke away from 19. Uh, and you know, gold had broken away from 19 a couple of times, but silver never broke away from 24. So this last time on Friday, uh, when gold broke, silver broke. And so both of those two, if you want to look at the $24 area and $1,900 area as gravitational um, attractors, uh, as they both pull away from the strike at the same time, then that's a license for silver to lead again. So we want to look for that next week. Uh, as long as we're above 24, we'll remain above 24, right? Uh, so let's move on to the actual topic that I want to talk about. And, and the reason I'm, I'm talking about this again today is because it's 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 an ongoing story uh, that just keeps unfolding uh, the way I think it will. Uh, now there are tactically some surprises, which I'll get into. Uh, but the the, uh, the the concept we're talking about here is, you know, what will make silver's price reflect its true global demand? And we're in the middle of it right now. It's happening right now. Uh, so let's go through that. All right. So I'm going to read a little bit here. Uh, but I, I wrote about a half hour ago, so it'll be pretty good, hopefully. The number one question that I get asked by silver stackers, not traders, is uh, what will make silver's price reflect its true global demand? And for years, I've given various explanations, all centered on a couple things. And we'll get to those things in a second. But I'll give you an idea of how long I've been following this. In 2016, I wrote several pieces on this concept, all centered on JPM, uh, JP Morgan's silver position. And in those pieces, I laid out the path to silver's price reflecting its true value. Now, here is one of them. In September 2016, I wrote a piece. This is not a trip down memory lane. What this is, is I give you an idea of the path that we've been on and that it's increasingly narrowing uh, in the choices. It's kind of like a a chess game, infinite moves in the beginning. And by the end, if you, know, you can only move, uh, it, it funnels to how the game is going to end. All right, so in 2016, I wrote a post called When China Complicates Gold, Get Silver Like JPM. And it, not, not my best writing, uh, uh, but it was probably some of my best research. And, and the reason it's important is because people were asking me then, uh, how does JP Morgan stay so short silver futures? And the answer is they're not, they're, they're, they're flat. They're long silver and they're short paper. And the, the idea there was uh, uh, when they wanted to go down, uh, uh, when they get short. When they wanted to go up, they get long. But the, the point is they're taking off and adding to shorts. But the, the point of that post and the work back then was simply that there were two drivers in 2016 that I noticed uh, in combination with an education I was getting on uh, futures markets and how exchanges operate that told me the path to silver being properly priced. And uh, the two aspects that matter the most for silver's price reflecting its value, that's what we're working on here, is number one, well, there's many, right? But the two that, 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 that I've focused on and with a lot of attention have been, the first one is Non-U.S. physical demand must outstrip U.S. paper supply. What does that mean? That means people want the silver so much that you can no longer short futures against it. 
rehypothecation, right? The second one is, and, and this might be a little confusing, but it's the remonetization of gold that makes silver go up. Both of these things have been happening slowly and accelerating recently, and uh, they're worth talking about again. So let's talk about it very quickly. Uh, starting with uh, the demand part, demand outstripping U.S. paper supply. Well, it hasn't outstripped U.S. paper supply, but what's happening is we're moving the whole silver and gold and oil markets are moving east. And they've been doing it for about a decade now, but it's accelerating. Uh, one of my friends, I was consulting with him for um, on, on the oil market, was explaining to me uh, about this concept, and I'm going to share it with you. The NYMEX had launched a sour crude contract back in the day, and I was excited. I was like, okay, that's going to be great. It's a bigger contract. There's more of it that trades. It's going to be exciting. And uh, uh, my, my uh, colleague said to me, he goes, it won't matter. It won't, it won't do well. I said, why? It's back then. We're talking about like, you know, 2012. He said, well, uh, or maybe earlier, the demand for the commodity must be in the region that it trades for the contract, the futures contract, to be successful. And I was like, what the hell does that mean? And then he proceeded to give me an education. Now, I'm going to talk about oil here, but think about silver. All right. So the first thing, the first takeaway is futures exchanges do best when they operate in the region of demand, not supply. So the demand for oil is in the U.S., the NYMEX exchange is where the demand is. The delivery points for the oil are in the US. There's no demand for oil in Saudi Arabia. That's a supply. The market accommodates the demand. So as a region grows economically, for oil in this case, they need to consume more oil. So if you need to consume more oil, then it gets exported or maybe U.S. oil or, or Brent goes to uh, Asia. And as more oil goes to Asia, you have a demand for more ports and more delivery points. And when you have those demand for more ports and delivery points, then you start setting up infrastructure there. And then you start putting businessmen and salesmen over there. And now you have a whole business centered around the port. And then eventually someone says, well, you know what? Uh, I want to start hedging my production. I want to start hedging my demand out here. And so an exchange lists a contract. And the contract is in the region of demand. That's where it does best, not supply. And then the contract is priced in local money. That's oil. And that's why the sour crude contract never did well. So let's go to silver. As the Asian economies, we'll just call it China. It's China and India and a couple other countries, but it's called China. As the Chinese economy grows, the demand for things grows. And one of those things is silver. People have more money. Uh, you, have a, you have a growing middle class. People have more money. They want to invest it in assets, and silver is one of them. So what happens? Well, the silver, all the supply of silver is in the US and London, right? Uh, that's where the demand was. But now the demand is in the East. So deliveries start getting taken from there and brought to the East. So the money 
pulls the silver to the region. What happens? Well, you start having vaults built. Banks start building vaults because vaults are like the equivalent of delivery points for futures exchanges. And the vaults get built out there because I want my silver near me, I want my gold near me, and they put it in a local vault. And then the salesmen move there. JP Morgan opens an operation there. They put bankers there, they put salesmen, and they start meeting clients and taking in their money and putting it in silver. Many things, but silver is what we're talking about here. Then eventually, we're not there yet, but we're almost there. What ends up happening is the locals say, well, you know, I, I, I want to buy silver, but I don't want to, you know, take delivery of it. So the Shanghai exchange or some other exchange creates a contract. Now, at first, the contract will be listed in dollars because the dollar is the global money. But eventually, it's going to be listed in the local currency, the yuan, renminbi, however you want to call it. And that's the death of the dollar, but that's another conversation. Uh, so... As you walk, as you walk from 2016, when I started paying attention to this, uh, to now, you've seen the demand go east, you've seen the vaults go east, you've seen the futures contracts start to go east, and you've seen uh, the businesses move east. All right, why why is that relevant? Well. The demand will drive the silver to the proper price. The second part of that is the remonetization of gold. Now, it's related to silver directly, not indirectly, but it goes like this. When Grexit and Brexit and the great financial crisis happened, those were signs. And smart people started putting together uh, a plan. And, you know, for example, there were the reasons there are various forces in play now that destroy the flow of physical collateral needed to create futures markets in the West. Okay, uh, Zoltan Posar called it crisis of, crisis of collateral. Uh, supply chain issues, mercantilism, Russian sanctions, put it all together, it means this. It means the world is dividing. There's going to be more than one kind of money used, multipolarity, they don't wanna say bipolarity, I guess it's mental illness. Uh, but the dollar is no longer there. And, and one, of the, one of the fallouts of this is, is, is the East, which this all started because the East feels that their asset contributions to the economic pie are undervalued. Uh, and that would be commodities. So let's use uh, silver, right? If silver is too low in price, then they're going to complain. And in doing so, uh, they're going to hold their own uh, silver off exchange. They're not going to hedge on the U.S. exchange. They're on strike. The commodities are on strike. And when you can't buy, let's say silver, let's, let's say it's silver that's mined in Indonesia, right? You mine silver in Indonesia, it gets delivered to the COMEX, and then 5,000 people are in the middle of it making money off of it scaling up operations. So you've got the spot, you've got the delivery, you've got all this, you know, this is your exitors pyramid, guys, right? This is the commodity, the asset creating the actual model, right? So this is this is what's going on. The East is the bottom, the West is the top. The West financializes and the East, you know, creates uh, or pulls out of the ground. And uh, the East is really just sick and tired of 
in their view, not being paid enough for their contribution to the pie. And so a line gets drawn and you see less exports to the West and that kills uh, the futures markets in the West. And when you kill the futures markets in the West between that and Basel III and Russian sanctions and the Ukraine war, you kill an avenue for investors to put their money in. Did the demand go away? No, it did. It's still over there. They need a product to trade it. And so that's what's going to happen. You're going to start seeing more and more demand from the East affect Western prices. Okay, so let me show you this picture here, all right? This is from a post that uh, Zoltan explains it better than I do. Uh, a crisis is unfolding, a crisis of commodities. Commodities are collateral and collateral is money. And this crisis is about the rising allure of outside, meaning Eastern money over inside money. Collateral is the foundation on which the financial system is based. Remember, if there's no spot, there's no futures. If there's no futures, there's no Western deals. If there's no Western deals because a commodity is on strike, then you have to let the price go up to a proper value before you can start doing deals again. The outside collateral is no longer the periphery, right? It's, it's more important. That collateral is a large and grossly undervalued part of the current course valuations. Put another way, a derivative tail has been wagging the dog. Now that's, that's a little bit all over the place, but let's go through this. Demand has moved east. Gold is getting remonetized as a symptom of the fractured economic globe. How does this make silver go up? The gold market is going to be used, it is being used, to create a bridge off of the dollar in the East. And fiscal gold in a mercantile system is used to back money. Safety and agreement over value for trade, neutral money doesn't take sides, all the reasons that we know, yada, 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 right? All right. This is what China is doing right now. And this is since 2016. China is buying gold, owning gold, and using it as a de facto guarantor or backer of the yuan. What they're going to do next, and you can take this to the bank, it's not going to happen tomorrow, but what they're going to do next is they're going to use gold as a retail product to start their own local futures business. So the Shanghai Futures Exchange is going to grow in importance, and there's going to be a blockchain type of gold product that gives the billion Chinese people access to buy a gram of gold. That's what's going to happen. And when that happens, the lack of the volumes will just dry up here. Because if all the volume is there and no one is arbitraging over there, then you're going to just have the volumes grow over here. They're going to make gold a people's gold. What's that going to do to silver? As the physical attributes of commodities are recognized, their utilitarian value becomes more appreciated. So what does that mean? It means that if the bottom of the Exodus pyramid is going to get revalued to be worth more, then what are you valuing on? We were valuing on all the futures contracts that trade on silver. There's more futures that trade, it gets depressed, et cetera, et cetera. But what are we going to value it on now? Well, if we're going to value it closer to its organic value, what it does for an economy, how it functions as a store of value, then it's no longer a financial asset, it's a real asset. It's going to be valued closer to its occurrence in nature, right? So 
there's the notes that I wrote on that. Uh, now we'll get to silver itself. When gold is remonetized, which is happening right now, or confiscated, which is what China's kind of doing. They're kind of, they're going to basically give everyone gold locally, but uh, they're, they're going to store it for them. Uh, it's going to be confiscated and, and upsold. You need to own silver. Why? Because if the world is revaluing physical assets closer to their true contribution to an economy with less weight on top of them for rehypothecation and financialization, sucking the value out of them, then you're going to have to value silver in terms of its scarcity to gold. So as gold goes up because of being remonetized, silver goes up because gold is being used for what it's meant to be used for. So uh, if gold goes up because, well, gold's going to go up more. Uh, silver is going to go up because it is a store of value like gold is. It's also industrially used and they will never confiscate silver. When this is all over, the ratio of silver to gold is about 77 to one right now. And that is entirely from financialization and central banks, gold hoarding. Banks are buying gold. They've been buying gold forever. They don't buy silver. Uh, countries are buying silver now. India is buying, China is buying. You're not going to see it advertised, but that's what's going on. As physical becomes more important, the ratio of natural occurrence does likewise. Many investors in silver believe the ratio should stand at 16 to one, primarily because there's 16 times more silver in the earth's crust and gold. The reality is it's probably going to, it's probably going to go at least 30 or 40 to one. It's not going to happen tomorrow, but it's going to happen. It's, it's, it's an IPO. Here's, here's what I'm, here's what I'm talking about. So between 2016 and 2022, I was like, silver will never be money again. Silver will never be money again. Uh, in 2022 in October, kind of changed my mind. And there's a whole story in this. I'll unlock it for everyone. Uh, but basically, the return of mercantilism, the BRICS countries go on strike. The BRICS basket, India, China, Russia, are all buying silver to be part of the basket that they use to create their money. So their money will be partially backed by economic assets, oil, which is, you know, these are hard assets to value, but you have to have them. Russia has to have it. They have to have it, though. If you have it, it's going to go into the new BRICS coin, for lack of a better word. So it's going to be a part of that. And if you're using a commodity and you're valuing it more in line with its occurrence, more natural, well, then its price is going to go to a ratio that's more acceptable with gold and silver. This is the money shot, okay? You're India, right? A large buyer of silver already and will be an advocate of silver being in the new BRICS basket, the new BRICS coin. And further, if any other BRICS country is smart, they will also want to get some silver for that portion of the basket. So I wonder who is taking delivery of all that silver. We know part of it is India. All right, so why not? It's easy to buy, it lasts forever, and it's cheap to store. Finally, there is no way it is being kept out of the basket. Silver is too important as a strategic monetary asset. So every BRICS country, in its positioning for the end game in the BRICS basket negotiations with each other, starts buying, among other things, silver. Our contention is, that is why, our contention is for one reason, there is much more physical demand lately 
as manifested in vault drawdowns and EFP behavior, EFP behavior, even while price stays down. Let's bring this to reality now. For the short term, I think gold and silver are probably overbought, and while they may continue higher, I wouldn't be, I wouldn't want them to go too much higher, too fast right now. The, the point of this is everything that you believe as a stacker is the same thing that other countries believe now. You're not in the minority anymore. And you don't worry about the price because you know it's going to become money again. That's basically it. Well, thank you, Vince. I sure appreciate today's report and hope everyone found that helpful at home, at least putting things in context of where silver has been, what it will take to actually see some of the moves that many have long been expected and some of the developments that are taking place right now. So hope you found that one helpful. And as we wrap up, would like to thank First Majestic Silver, who brought us today's episode and First Majestic Silver, who's been ramping up production in their Jarrett Canyon project over the fourth quarter. So we'll be interesting to see in the next couple of weeks how things played out in the fourth quarter for First Majestic. They also did have a couple of transactions that they announced back in December of last year, including the sale of a royalties portfolio to Metalla Royalty and Streaming. That was a $20 million stock transaction where First Majestic sold some royalties to Metalla in exchange for Metalla's shares. That did indeed close a couple of weeks later. And First Majestic also did announce the sale of their La Perea silver mine to Golden Tag Resources in a cash and stock deal. So it's been a busy couple of months for First Majestic, although certainly good couple of months as we've also seen the silver price rise with First Majestic being one of the companies to benefit from that. And kind of like to thank First Majestic for bringing us today's report with Vince. Going to wrap up for now, but we'll look forward to seeing you again tomorrow.